you cats ready for a fun piece of wrestling nostalgia? My favorite video game growing up, wrestling video game. Do you guys remember the old WrestleFest arcade game? Oh, where it was a, it was an action button. There was no kick punch rest. There was just action, right? You just hit it as fast as you could. Yeah, that's ba- it was basically a button masher, and there were two modes. There was a tag team, and there was Royal Rumble. In the tag team mode, you would try to win a bunch of matches to eventually face the Legion of Doom in a tag team championship match. That was impossible to win unless you put like a thousand quarters into machine, which I, I guess was the point. And my favorite wrestler to use in that game, Brian Campbell, was Earthquake. What a badass Earthquake was in the early 90s. Dude, I know we talked about how much we, you've, you've mentioned it before, how much we love John Tenta on this show about his various roles. And it's funny you bring up Tenta because the other, you know, I get mad every week on this show when I see Tyler Breeze in a wig and I see him in a dress. And I'm like, you know what? He needs to stand up and cut a real promo. He needs to do what John Tenta once did in WCW. I'm not the shark. I'm not a fish. I'm not an avalanche. I'm a man. John Tenta. Doesn't. 500-pound man. That's the key to Tyler Breeze's future of getting out of this doghouse rug. Come on, man. Follow, quote the Tenta nevermore, right? I mean, maybe maybe what Tyler Breeze needs to do is kill one of Jake Roberts' snakes, and that will be what gets him over and gets the dress off of Tyler Breeze permanently. Of course, you know, we tend to rebounded from that by becoming Golga in the oddities. So maybe, maybe, maybe Breeze shouldn't follow that. But, you know, anyway, hit my music. Let's go. Welcome into the In This Corner podcast with the Brian Campbell. This is the professional wrestling edition. I am handsome Nick Costos, and I'll be honest with you. I'm coming off a great night with one of my paramours, a very beautiful woman. We had a great night, went to see Cirque du Soleil, and had some fun afterwards because you know that handsome Nick Costos does not rest in peace. He can stay up. All night. And as always, I am joined by my tag team partners. First off, he is the man. He's actually almost vanishing before our very eyes. He is killing it with his workouts. He looks absolutely sensational. He is the great Adam Silverstein, better known to you and yours as the Silver King. Hey now. And as always, I am joined by the man whose name is on the marquee. Come on. He is the icon. My man. He's the main event. Let's go. He's the showstopper. Bring it. He's the whole effing show. One time. He is the bod that runs the pod. Don't stop. He is the mast that guides the cast. Here we go. You know who he is. You know what his name is. He is the Brian Campbell. Oh, yeah. BC, tell the listeners what's on the podcast. We've got another big show. Coming at you in another lethal injection of the only wonder drug that actually works wonders, that performance-enhancing audio. It's the IcoPro of the modern era and guaranteed to get you juice. Looking back at another week that was in pro wrestling, we'll swan dive into them DMs, 
update the latest on the G1 Climax and NJPW and preview Sunday's WWE Battleground pay-per-view. Heck, we may even F around and get a triple-double. Yes, no need to grab that AK because it's going to be a good day on the ITC. And before I hand the keys back to the Greek, let me remind you to continue to do your part. We appreciate all the tweets, DMs, positive reviews that you guys have sent in, letting your voice be heard about this podcast. And if you haven't taken the time just yet to share your opinion, we ask you to do one simple command. If you hear something today that you like on this podcast, if you see something, say something. Head on over to Apple Podcast and subscribe. The audio revolution continues, and we invite you to get on board. But it's time that I swipe right and give it back to the most passionate man in North America, South Florida's most eligible bachelor. Right near the beach. Boy. Nasty Nick. Oh, man, I got to tell you, I feel a little nasty today. I'm temporarily going to forget about my hangover for the betterment of the show. And as always, just a sensational introduction by the Cousin Yuri, the Victor Conti, the King Balco, the first of our performance-enhancing audio, the man whose name is on the marquee, the Brian Campbell. Gentlemen, as always, we begin in this corner with the main event. Ladies and gentlemen... This is the main event of the evening. I have to be honest. I think that we could do better for a sounder for the main event here. Brian, like, we got to get a better sounder for that. That's not bad. It takes a little while to get into, but we will get that fixed for next week. See if we can get a better sounder for the main event. And I think we could have gotten a better conclusion to what we're going to talk about in the main event. It was pumped up for months. They they teased it last week on Raw that we were going to finally find out what Kurt Angle, the secret Brian Campbell, the secret that Kurt Angle was waiting to reveal. And we got the answer. He is the father, quote-unquote, of Jason Jordan, formerly of American Alpha. Brian Campbell, your thoughts on this reveal? You mean besides the fact that they dropped the ball by not having Maury Povich out there? Because that would have been fantastic. Because, Kurt Angle, you are the father of Jason Jordan. Overall, was this a... I got to choose my words carefully here, okay? Was this a little bit of the air coming out of the balloon, a little bit of a wah-wah for how much attention to detail and fire they put into this build and how much we really didn't know what was going to happen? The answer to that, of course, is yes. There was a, ah, really? This is it? And I know that they had a WWE Network special after the fact where they sat down and did a kayfabe interview. But on the show in Raw, You got Jason Jordan coming out. You got a hug, and that's all you got. So, of course, it's one of those in the moment, like, ah, man, you built this up so much that I was prepared for Kurt to come out of the closet. I was prepared for (laughs) Stephanie McMahon to been sliding in that man's DMs. I was prepared for a lot of different things. I will say this, though. Number one, congratulations, WWE. I'm not rolling out the obvious of Dixie Carter here and ruining it for everybody. And that would have seriously been a wah wah. And I also give them this credit, Nick and Adam. And I say, this is why we have to pause before we hammer this out. The one thing that that reveal did was show you that it was a surprise. Jason Jordan was not one of the options on our board or really anybody's board. So in this day and age where everything gets leaked on the dirt sheets, and I mean everything, there are almost no more surprises. This at the very least was a surprise and it will take some time for them to prove whether it was a good surprise. It's up to you whether you want to hammer them in the moment, but I like Jason Jordan. I like his potential. So I will press pause for the cause right now and take a step back and not hammer them out. 
Are you guys in agreement with me? Where are we going with this? I'm going to pe- – you're pressing pause. I'm going to press stop for the drop. Uh, it was terrible. I mean, like, are we really going to try and sell this as something that was entertaining? And, like, like, were you satisfied as the viewer on Monday night when this happened? Because I most certainly was not. When he, he starts going through it, you know he's going to announce, like, it's, it's going to be a kid once he says, you know, I used to date this girl and I got this message or whatever. You know it's going to be a kid of some kind. And then it's Jason Jordan. And I'm sitting there thinking, like, really? Like, this is what they came up with? And I think this was the plan the entire time, obviously, right? Because you had Gable uh, competing in singles matches on SmackDown. We had wondered, Silver King had said it on one of the editions a couple weeks ago, like, what's going on with Jason Jordan? Like, why are we getting Gable in these singles matches? So I don't think this was like a Black Scorpion deal, if you remember that from WCW, when they had no idea what the hell they were doing, and it turned out to be Ric Flair ultimately at the end, wrestling Sting. I think this was the plan from the beginning, and, you know, maybe it'll turn out to be good, and I think that both things can be true. Number one, you can be excited about Jason Jordan, who's clearly got a lot of talent, and this could turn out to be something cool down the road, storyline-wise, if Angle... It gives preferential treatment and other wrestlers get pissed. So there are some storyline opportunities here uh, as it concerns Angle and Jason Jordan. So you can like the potential of this, but as far as a reveal goes, Silver King, I thought this was absolutely terrible. So I came to the realization before the show, and I told BC this, that it was going to be lame and tame. And the reason for that is this is not 2000. It's not even 2007. It's 2017 WWE, and they're not going to have Kurt Angle either cheating on his wife with an executive of the company or with some woman that we don't know. So one, And, and he was never going to be gay. I said that from the very beginning. So I already was had my expectations tempered down, which is fine going into it. I actually didn't have much of a problem with the re- reveal itself. Was it exciting? No. But it was still a swerve, and it bested the Enzo Cass reveal that we were so jacked up, j- jacked up about a couple you know, weeks earlier. When you have a storyline like this and you have to grade it, you have to ask what boxes did WWE check, right? So we were anticipating it and speculating about it. Check. It didn't leak. It kind of technically did. One guy you know, tweeted about it, but on a, on a large scale, it didn't leak. Check. It delivered the best rating that Raw's had since WrestleMania 33. Check. It gave a talented guy, seemingly from out of nowhere, a fresh angle and an opportunity. Check. We're talking about it. Now, we're still talking about well, it. We have to talk. About, that's our job. I mean, they don't get credit for that. Like, we but have to talk about fine, it. Fine, we, we are, but the IWC is too, so everyone's still talking about it. So, uh, you know, I didn't really have much of an issue with it. The only issue I had was that it's the breakup of American Alpha when Raw needs a face tag team. Why not just bring them both over, give them preferential treatment? Then you have uh, Jordan turn on Gable because, you know, he's, ang- he makes, he's angry about getting preferential treatment with... Uh, his father over Gable, he gets singles opportunities, Gable doesn't. There's a long way they could have gone with it, bringing them both over. They need that tag team together. They don't need more singles performers on both of these shows. I think we have to wait and see, though. I mean, we, we Chad Gable had a sit-down interview on, on SmackDown Live this week, and I the one thing I liked was that they played it really hardcore kayfabe, right? Gable tweeted out, um, what, right afterwards. Even they had Kurt Angle's real-life wife tweet out just a bunch of mashed letters together, like, oh, my God, as if she didn't know. As if Kurt was announcing to her for the first time (laughs) on national TV. I like the commitment to kayfabe there. I don't know for sure if they are going to be broken up. You assume for now, right? It makes no sense to break them up. I want to see what's going to happen. Is it going to lead to a Gable and Jordan type of feud across? But I don't know where it's going yet. But one thing I did that helped me retain hope in this is that I think Jordan could play the heel Kurt Angle overachieving 
not, you know, wrestling gimmick. He doesn't have the gold medal to match him. But I think because Jordan's personality does have a little bit of a ceiling, I think he would do well in that I'm so perfect type of type of heel role where it's just all about himself. I think physically he can obviously do well. And I just I got to hold out hope. I really that's the bottom line. I got to hold out hope before I hammer it. But to the point about breaking up Alpha when they hadn't really had their peak moment as a tag team, when they had done nothing but good in the ring. Yeah, they weren't over on a on a mouthpiece type of way. They were they were underachieving in that regard. But, man, they gave you great matches. I'm a little bit confused on where we go from here. Nick, do you hold out any hope on what the next step could be? What's Jordan's first feud? How is Gable exit out of this? Does he go to cruiserweight? How do you sort of look at the landscape where they could make this work in your eyes? Oh, oh, I'm in on it. I'm in on the storyline moving forward. What I didn't like was the reveal. And I feel like you set this up that we felt like it was going to be something sinister, right? Like this was an edgy storyline. And I think that this was a, v- a pretty vanilla reveal in the end that ultimately it ended in a hug, right? Like, like I wanted something catastrophic to happen. Like, Angle is obsessed with Stephanie McMahon. Even Dixie Carter, I feel like, would have been, and I blasted the Dixie Carter thing last week. I think the Dixie Carter reveal would have been better than this Jason Jordan reveal. This It did absolutely nothing. Zilch, nada, zero, bubkiss. For me as a viewer, Jason Jordan is Kurt Angle's son in the storyline, did nothing. And the other thing that really bothered me about this, I was starting to really dig Corey Graves. And if anyone here watches Game of Thrones, you'll get the reference. As like a Varys-style collector of information where, <laughs> where Corey Graves knew what was going on with Enzo and Cass. Corey Graves somehow was the one that knew what was going on with Kurt Angle before anyone else did. And then it turns out, that Corey Graves isn't like some sort of involved in espionage and he's not trying to blackmail anyone, which would have been a really cool Corey Graves in this edgy heel role. He's a good friend. He's known Jason Jordan and he kept it a secret. So Corey Graves comes out looking like a good guy here when I think we were all starting to warm up to him in this bad guy, this this tweener announcer slash heel role, which I thought was pretty cool. And they flushed that down the toilet. So you just made a great point there. That's a great point. And I think there's one thing that pops the balloon in, in sort of how you're what you're saying here is they built us up to be in a position to accept something outside of the box. Even if it was, like I said, Kurt Hangel in 2017 announcing he was gay in a storyline role. It would have been time to do that in a respectful way. So now I think since they've raised our expectations and we were prepared for something big, they're going to have to slide something else into our DMs in that spot. And when I was watching SmackDown this week, guys, when they once again continued this unexplained Lana and Tamina Stuka relationship where they just get each other's back and stick up for each other but don't explain why and why is Rusev coming out but Lana is no longer by her side which really was like 30% of what made him great was how perfect she was in that role maybe are they going to soft play into a uh, Tamina Lana relationship HLA HLA on SmackDown? I mean, I got to tell you, that'd be the most entertaining thing Tamina Snuka would ever do in a WWE ring if that went down, Bri. I mean, we know that Lana has a history, if we're going to play kayfabe here, relationship-wise, of liking to be with somebody who's tough and physical and, you know, can take charge. Hey, Tamina is that person, Nick. I got to, you know, I'm not going to, I don't choose choose who people love, but if they're going to go in that way, Tamina's the muscle in that relationship. There's no question. You know what I found was weird is that it's almost the same as the Alexa Bliss, Nia Jax angle on Raw. They're basically taking two larger Samoan women 
and having them help out two blonde, smaller blonde women. But here, I think it's the like difference. The I, I, I know you're not like it's not apples to apples. Sure. Because Alexa Bliss is actually like, good on the microphone, uh, of course. and Lana's not terrible on the mic. Like she was good in that role with Rusev, but Alexa Bliss is obviously better. And they've actually explained the Bliss Nia Jax thing a little bit. Bliss is manipulating Nia Jax obviously in of the storyline to to do her her dirty work. We don't know what the deal is yet with uh with Lana and Tamina. But but final word here on the the angle Jason Jordan thing. Man, like I, I, I just I can't get past it being so excited for it. And I remember thinking when they go to commercial break, and it's like I think it was like I think it opened hour two, or maybe it was hour three. I'm not 100 percent sure, but they're going to commercial, and they go coming up next the Kurt Angle reveal. And I remember I'm sitting on my couch on Monday night, and I'm thinking, damn, like this is I'm actually really excited for this. Like what the hell is about to happen? And then it's Jason Jordan, and I'm just like, really? <laughs> like you couldn't come up with something better than that? Like you had. Two months to figure this out, and it's Jason Jordan. So, Bri, maybe it turns out to be good, and maybe we're looking back on this and saying, you know what, as a reveal, it might not have been good, but the whole storyline turned out to be great. But for me, for this viewer, it left me wholly, wholly unsatisfied. And unless Gable ends up with that tease I said, you know, in 205 Live competing for a title— I don't know what you're going to do with him as a singles guy. Yes, he'll give you good matches, but he's undersized, doesn't have a great look, and can't talk. So where are we going with that long-term? <laughs> well, I mean, well, that doesn't seem to be G- that doesn't seem to be a winning formula for our friend, right? Wait, Gable can't talk? No, no. I mean, he can talk under the premise of, of American Alpha Extreme Babyface to a certain degree, even though I just ripped them earlier for kind of being deficient in that category. I, it, Despite the fact that over my shoulder, and you can see on my videos, I do have a ready, willing, and Gable towel because I love watching that guy in the ring. Yes. I just don't feel like, you know, I mean, I don't feel like as a singles guy in a push, he's going to go anywhere but buried. So that's why if they're going to do something, do an angle with Jordan, like right? Like do something with this to get Jordan over. All right, very quickly here. Last thing on this, because I wanted the, 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 the comparison between the two. From the interviews that you watched post-Raw with Jordan and Angle and then on SmackDown Live with Gable and Renee Young, who do you think showed more natural charisma in those spots, Jordan or Gable? Silver King, you first. For me, it's Gable. I like both of them, but I think Gable has a lot of charisma, and I think he's going to ex- do extremely well as a singles competitor. I just don't think they need him as a singles competitor. Wait, so, so you like you thought Gable was more charismatic? BC, how, what, what was uh, what's your take on that? You know, I will back him on that. I think that Jordan, he wasn't bad in that WWE Network post special. Well, I said I almost said WWE, and really just. just <laughs> Kurt Angle right there, but he wasn't well, really Why, that why does Angle do that, by the way? It's a quick aside. We're here at WWE War. Like, why can't he say it properly? <laughs> Vince micromanages every ounce of that broadcast. How has he not pulled Kurt Angle in and be like, WWE was, it's just not going to work, right? <laughs> like, it's you like know, Daffy it's like, Duck out they, there announcing. And I tweeted it out. If you want to, if you want to make us believe that Jordan is the son of Angle, have Jordan mispronounce it that way. But anyway, long term, uh, yeah, Jordan, Jordan couldn't even talk like Gable on that spot. But can we see some type of angle, by the way, where Angle is like the pushing his son way too hard on yes. the Rob because he's the general manager and they both become heels because of it? If we go down that road, I'm fired up. I- I'm surprised that you guys thought Gable showed more charisma. I was actually more impressed what I saw from Jason Jordan in that Raw interview on the WWE Network, the WWE Network on Monday Night After Raw with Kurt Angle. So I am enthused about the future for this, but as I reveal, I thought it kind of sucked. And that was the, the sole... 
I was hoping for this kind of breakdown from you. Not only did he not win it, I felt that he lost it. <laughs> <laughs> I, this, I, last week, I mean, I had a couple major verbal pause. I mean, I, I feel like I can barely put a sentence together now. It is. Maybe it's because of all the vodka tonics I had last night. Story for another time. That was the sole portion of our main event portion of the In This Corner podcast with Brian Campbell. And with that, we move on, BC, to Hero or Zero. Drop that zero and get with the hero. Okay, as far as sound goes, that was about a thousand times better than what we had for the main event. So I think we're cool to roll with that. It is the best of seven challenge, Costos versus Campbell. For those of you scoring at home, I beat the man whose name is on the marquee last week, and I have beaten him two out of three times. So maybe we'll get some preferential judging this week from his honorable, the Silver King. We will find out, though. Silver King, what's up first? So we're going to start back with Raw. Uh, It looks like WWE is setting up potentially the largest fatal four-way in the history of wrestling. Literally. 1,200 pounds combined, possibly at SummerSlam, with Brock Lesnar defending his universal title against Reigns, Strowman, and Samoa Joe. Obviously, this is not booked yet. We're speculating here. But what I want to know is, do you guys want to see this match, BC? Yeah, this is an absolute hero. I've been, you know, sort of teasing my own way that that this is the direction they need to go with for SummerSlam. I hope they go for this for the main event. And as much as I've said it before, I do not like leaning on the idea of three and four man matches in in major pay-per-views. This just has so much potential of action. I think that this could be a match of the year in a non-traditional type of way. It's just going to be so spot heavy, so physical. I just don't want them to screw it up. Now I'm at the point where I'm so bought in on this four that I want to see it happen. Here's the thing. Strowman running in on Raw this week and breaking up that Joe Reigns match was the most predictable thing possible, right? It was like the anti-angle reveal with Jason Jordan. Yet, and this has happened now more than once in this Roman Strowman feud for as predictable as it was it was still awesome and every inch of it was predictable but to see Braun Strowman pick up both guys and deliver that kind of physical running power slams and see him just roll out and be that much of a destructive warrior how could you not be bought in this is a massive hero of course it is I mean it it was terrific and and even like you said Bri it was so predictable that I tweeted like 15 minutes before the match even happened and I'm the only one one that thought it would happen. I'm going to pop huge when Strowman's music hits during the main event. And, Bri, what did we hear during the main event before Braun Strowman came out? I gotta tell you, I pop huge for Braun Strowman's music. So I love that. Braun comes out, BC, as you went through, and power slams both guys. This match is going to be awesome. And the story that I want to see, Bri... I want to see Brock get his ass kicked in this match by all three guys and get a similar finish to what we had at Great Balls of Fire where Brock miraculously emerges with his championship at the end. And if they're going to put him through this gauntlet, right, where if he's going to end up facing Rollins at some point and face Finn Balor at some point before dropping the belt at WrestleMania next year to Roman Reigns, I think it's going to be very effective. And I hope that they planted that first seed at Great Balls of Fire with how the match ended with him and Samoa Joe. Look, how could you not like this? It's four of the most electric competitors editors right now in the company in the main event of the second biggest pay-per-view of the year this has to get a hero I think the match is going to be great and I'm super jacked for it they haven't announced it yet obviously but it's clearly where it's trending Braun Strowman Roman Reigns Samoa Joe against the Universal Champion Brock Lesnar it is a major major hero we had some similar points on that one I'm going to give it to BC by a hair so we're starting 1-0 for the good guy up next WWE has completely stopped using Pyro for its entrances. I'm not sure if you guys noticed this. It's been a while now. Uh, it's believed to be a cost-cutting measure, ro- measure, 
of course, Road Dog, who's the head of SmackDown Live Creative right now, basically commented on Twitter that it's not a big deal and fans will completely forget WWE even had it inside of three months. Presumably, they're still going to have it at WrestleMania, maybe at SummerSlam, but are you going to miss the pyro and is them getting rid of it a hero or zero Nick? I, I didn't even notice it. I didn't even notice they stopped using it. You know what I don't like when I'm at a live WWE event and the freaking pyro go, goes off and blows my eardrums out? I can do without the pyro. Like, is it cool, I guess, for like a big special occasion? Sure. You want to save it for WrestleMania or you want to save it for the Royal Rumble or save it for SummerSlam? I'm down with it. I don't need it at Raw. I don't need it at SmackDown. I don't care about it. I don't think it adds that much to the proceedings. I didn't even notice that they stopped using it. So it's a hero for me that they stopped. Good for them. Save the money because they're going to need to back up the Briggs truck at some point to bring Kenny Omega over from NJPW. So save the money and uh, pinch those pennies any way you can, BC. No, this was a big zero. Look, there's an, it, it, in you made the great point. In arena, it can blow your eardrums off when you don't men, when you don't know it's coming here. But here's the thing: it's so iconic with certain people, right? You get to a point with Goldberg, Batista, Kane, Undertaker, where it's just part of what they do. It's a zero to just drop it out of nowhere and be like, ah, this is a cost-cutting measure. There's a lot of things that you could drop, including the bottom third of your roster, that would be a better cost-cutting measure. Okay. Mm. But here's the thing specifically about pyro and making it feel special because you could cut costs by just saying we're only going to do it at pay-per-views because what they should be doing and they don't and it's a big fail in my mind. Maybe it doesn't matter to them, but to me is doing little things that make pay-per-views feel bigger. And what I mean by that, saving pyro just for the pay-per-view, having certain color ropes and a certain look to the ring that is only for the pay-per-views. So when you go back years later on the network and watch a match, it feels extra special rather than falling into a random match and going, is this some random Raw in Pittsburgh from June of 2008? Or is, no, this is a pay-per-view. Wow, that kind of looks like SummerSlam. This feels like a big deal. They should do certain things like using Paro and only save them for the pay-per-views to really make that feel special. Because sometimes when you're in arena on a pay-per-view, you really feel like you're there for a Raw or SmackDown and it doesn't matter. I think one thing that is crystal clear after that rant, it's still real to Brian Campbell. Damn it. I mean, really, Brian? Like, we're really waxing. <laughs> like, we're really waxing poetic over the loss of Pyro. I mean, who cares? Silver King, just go ahead and give me the point. So I'll you, tell you who cares, though. This guy cares, and there's a reason for it. So, this, so Nick. <laughs> <laughs> that, another one of my verbal faux pas from last week, the In This uh, Campbell podcast with Brian Campbell. So, Nick, you had me for a long time there, but I'll tell you, man, the passion BC exuded put me over, and especially for this reason. You don't need Pyro for the whole show, but someone like Brock Lesnar, when he comes in and he flexes and they do the Pyro that goes off, it misses, it's missing now when he does it's it and, and nothing happens. No one cares. It's fine. Okay, well, you're down 2-0. That's, that's what matters right now. Uh, so much for Bailey's fight back to relevance, guys. She just went ahead and pinned the women's champion Alexa Bliss in back-to-back Raws, and she now faces Sasha Banks for a chance at Bliss at SummerSlam. BC, hero or zero from, for Bailey being already put back in this position? Zero for that regard, because I think that she needs a long uh, to play out this stretch of losing to eventually play up her comeback, which we talked about, whether they're going the Daniel Bryan route or not. Hard for me to give this whole thing an outright zero because I'm proud of proud might be the bad word. I'm happy that they've sort of given life, which we talked about last week, to the Raw Women's Division finally. And the direction of going towards Sasha and Bliss at SummerSlam makes the most sense because it's the best match you can make on the Raw, Brad. It, it's going to have the best chemistry in 
in ring. So we're probably still going there. So you had to give Bailey a, a win for one week to make it believable that she should be in a match against Sasha for the winner going ahead. Now, it violated many of my personal rules, right? The champion losing in a non-title match on a Raw or SmackDown for no reason is like the biggest faux pas that I hate because it, it's, it's should a typical 50-50 booking and it waters down your champions and your stars makes no sense. This can stay a slight hero as long as they don't do anything crazy in this Bailey Sasha Banks match within their own storyline as oh, friends. Oh, they're going to. They've teased forever that this is going that eventually they're going to break up, right? Have a female version of the Mega Powers explode. This would not be the week to do it. Now I know that they could, and it could lead to a, a triple threat at, at SummerSlam. I don't want a triple threat. I want Bliss to continue what has been an incredible run since coming over to Raw, coming off of that incredible debut run on SmackDown. It, it will only work if it's her and Sasha one-on-one. -on -one. It'll rebuild Sasha's brand, save the friendship breaking apart for a future date. It's sort of a hero and a zero at the same time, but if we end in the right place, it's going to be a hero for me. Yeah, I, I like this. It's like the Mega Powers breaking up, except everyone cared about the Mega Powers, and no one cares about the Sasha banks Bailey friendship. And you don't worry, Bri, you're not going to get a triple threat match at SummerSlam. You're going to get a fatal four-way match at SummerSlam. It's going to be those three, and it's going to be Nia Jax. You know what? I'm going to save everyone the time right now because I'm a really magnanimous guy and this is the type of dude that I am. Next week on Raw when this match happens, find something else to watch because this is how the match is going to end. Nia Jax is going to come out and beat up both of them. It's going to be a disqualification and they're going to set up a fatal four-way match for SummerSlam. This is the problem right now with the women's division on both Raw and SmackDown. The booking is extremely lazy. Bri, I'm with you. You made the point about the fatal four-way in the main event for the Universal Championship. That works because the four performers are all electric. No one cares about this match coming up at Battleground, the SmackDown, the Fatal Five-Way to see who's going to face Naomi at SummerSlam. And this is like, what do we do? Let's just put all of them in the ring together because we're not good enough as writers to come up with a competent storyline for any one of them. So this is a major zero as a whole for me. Now, I will say, I like Bailey a lot in ring. And I think that they've actually done a decent job rehabilitating her after jobbing her out for so long to Alexa Bliss. And I killed Bailey for that. I actually think she's rebounded pretty nicely in ring here. So I think that the, the, the match could potentially be pretty good. But as far as the booking goes and as far as the storyline, it's lazy. And quite frankly, WWE or WWE, you can <laughs> do better than this because this is really, it's not good. Nick playing right into the judges' hands on that one. That's a point for the handsome one. All right, guys. Sp I am handsome, it's true. Sports Illustrated is reporting that WWE is among one or two, maybe three suitors for the 42-year-old Rey Mysterio Jr. Do you want to see the 619 back in WWE? Nick, what do you think? I want to see Rey Mysterio back, but... I don't want to see him back in WWE because I think that his time in WWE, WWE, really did run it. It, did, it, 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 it ran its course. I mean, it there were times when Ray would come out during his last run, and I'd be like, like, enough with this guy because it's the same garbage with Ray over and over and over again. And you give the guy credit because he's one of the all-time great small wrestlers. And really, I think you could say one of the all-time great wrestlers and not even hit him with that qualifier of being small from a great career in WCW, first in the cruiserweight division, then with feuds with guys like... Kevin Nash. Obviously, as Brian referenced about a month ago, the Nash lawn dart throwing Rey Mysterio into the side of the trailer, winning the Royal Rumble, winning the WWE Heavyweight Championship. The guy is an absolute legend, but as far as WWE goes, his time is past. I do not want to see him on Raw. I don't want to see him on SmackDown, where I do want to see Rey Mysterio 
is an NJPW because I think he's probably still got it in the ring and he could join maybe Los Ingobernables and he could be a heel potentially. I think that there's potential for Rey Mysterio, just not in WWE, Bry. So a zero for me on Rey in WWE. Yeah, it's hard to disagree with you. Passionate run there for you. Uh, I don't want to see it. Where's what I want to see a fat Rey Mysterio Jr. Because that's what he was his last few years. And it's like the anti to his own gimmick. It's, it's like the equivalent of like Ric Flair came out with thinning hair and a bald spot in the back. You wouldn't take the flowing white lock seriously anymore if that was the case. Seeing a fat Rey Mysterio down the stretch of that run was not fun. And if you bring him back, you're exposing the fact that you have no idea what to do with Kalisto, who, by the way, is incredible in the ring. I think he's better than the Rey Mysterio over the second half of his career. Not the 90, late 90s amazing Rey Mysterio, but better than that. Obviously, Kalisto can't talk. They don't know what to do. And he's not even on two five live they're doing nothing with them but wwe probably will bring them back just for the sake of cutting off its competition one of the big suitors right now is global force wrestling for them look look how easy it is for wwe just pull him in do a nostalgic dudley boys cardi boys type pop and then let him fade away down to the bottom of the card and then let him go in two years they would probably rather do that than have a guy that they made uber famous do something across the street just to continue to stiff arm all the suitors across the street it's a zero if he comes back bottom line so nick got the point on this very passionate as always but i have a quick follow-up you can give me a yes or no if Rey mysterio came back to wwe as the general manager of 205 live would you like that nick yeah i think i would like that because i think it would add some spice to the proceedings bc yeah, I, I think then you'd have to bring in Kalisto, and then you can do a tag team. You can do them against each other in an angle. You can do a coaching angle. You can do a lot of things. Good, good choice on there. I like. Okay, that. moving on, guys. Elias Sampson finally used his guitar, and he straight up hardweighed Finn Balor across the side of the head. There's no DQ match coming up next week, but it seems like the Balor Bray Wyatt feud is being teased for SummerSlam. I got a two part question here. Whose fault was the guitar shot gone wrong? Either WWE for not allowing him potentially to do a straight head shot or Elias Samson for just totally botching it. And B, are you intrigued by the Bray or the by the Baylor Wyatt potential feud? So we're gonna do hero or zero on both two point potential question, and we're starting with B say. Massive hero on everything that happened with this guitar break. And was it Elias Sampson's fall? It probably was based on sort of, you know, hedging both sides based on the WWE rules of not wanting him to hit hit him in the head. But the fact that he screwed up potentially actually made it 10 times even better because you got a hard way blood spot. And by the way, that was the second consecutive match on Raw on Monday that had a hard way spot. So, you know, BC pop for that one. But here's why it ruled. They had saved that guitar gimmick, right? It's the old honky talk man gimmick. It's the Jeff Jarrett gimmick. They had saved using it for its debut for a while to the point where I kept saying, when is he going to do it? Well, when you do save it, you're setting yourself up to need to do it in a big spot. Had he only hit Finn Balor in the shoulder and knocked him over, it would not have been a big spot. And BC right here would have been saying, what a waste of a historically great spot. No, he hard weighed the crap out of the side of Finn Balor's head. When you use a weapon like this and you don't draw blood, I know we are in the PG generation, but when you do not draw blood in a weapon spot, you water down the effectiveness of it. To see Finn bleeding and have three referees put on gloves and suddenly be trying to mop that up, it put Elias Sampson over. Over in a big way. They have done a tremendous job building him. Hero on that. And it's also going to be a hero for me on the idea moving forward of Wyatt Balor going into SummerSlam. Most importantly, because for everyone that wants the Demon King gimmick to come out of Balor, there's nobody better to pull them out than the Dark Lord Bray Wyatt himself. I mean, there's going to be a lot you can do with the wrinkles of that feud in the dialogue back and forth. I thought 
Bray Wyatt's promo on Monday was hot fire. And to deliver it to a wounded Finn Balor, I loved to, to totally be in his head and be like, I've been watching you for a while. I was so dialed in. Double hero there. I just don't know how you're going to take a giant moment from Elias Sampson and then now tease us that he's not going to be a part of this great SummerSlam feud we have planned. How is he going to get out of this and transition out? I know they can create 50 ways to do that, and it'll, all of them will probably suck. But right now, Elias Sampson, I'm so high on, I didn't like that he lost his thunder in that spot for Bray coming in. That's that's where you go. Two big heroes there, but a little bit of a hedge on my bet. Well, I do think that they'll that Samson will get that back because like they're doing the no DQ match next week with Samson and Balor, and Bray will interfere, and Samson will win, and that'll be the end of the Samson Balor feud, and Samson will move on to something else. Uh, the first question: Whose fault is it? It's obviously Elias Samson's fault. How do I know that? Because Finn Balor is a tremendous five-star quality worker. Finn Balor did not screw that up. Like, he didn't turn the wrong way or anything. This was obviously Elias Sampson's fault, so there's no question about that. But, Bri, I do agree with you. It's good that he screwed it up because it did give us the blood and did add something to the uh, to the proceedings. Here's my deal with Elias Sampson, and, and, and it's a hero for the whole thing, but I'm going to criticize Elias Sampson a little bit because the gimmick is so good, and I've said this before, he's so close to taking this to the the next level. But he falls flat in a couple areas, and I think it's with his delivery on the mic. And I'm going to give you an example of what I'm talking about. We remember back maybe two months ago, we praised Alexa Bliss. When Alexa Bliss was getting the what chance from the crowd, and she goes, if you think Alexa Bliss is the best, say what? And the crowd goes, what? And then they feel stupid, and they stop chanting it. When Samson's doing his routine in the ring with the guitar, with the lights out, the crowd starts chanting, we want Balor. You could see on Samson's face that he was visibly shaken by it. Like, he did not know what to do. Now, what he should have said was, in the moment, please, I ask that you hold your applause until the end of my performance, which I would have popped for, because that's the old Wayne Ferris honky-tonk man when he goes, please, you hold your applause until the end, and they're actually, they're actually booing him. But instead, he goes, well... I want Finn Balor, too. Like, he played into their hands. So he needs a little more experience on the mic if he's really going to get this over. But I do pop huge for who wants to walk with Elias. Actually, like, I'm laughing right now saying it. Like, it actually is a really funny line. So a hero for the Samson Balor portion of this. As for Balor Bray Wyatt, I got to agree, Bri, with what you said because I think that we will see the demon entrance at SummerSlam. I think that Balor has to go over in that match if they're going to do the uh, the Demon King gimmick. And I'm actually okay with Bray losing in that match because of him going over Seth Rollins in back-to-back shows on the pay-per-view and then on Raw. So I think they've built Bray back up a little bit. So I have no problem if and when Balor does go over. And I think these two are going to put on an absolute awesome match come SummerSlam. So a hero all the way around for me on the Elias Bray Balor stuff. And we're splitting it down the middle. Both really solid takes. Obviously, Nick going in on it being okay for Bray to actually lose that match and why that and bringing the demon back and why it's so important for both their characters. That's exactly what I wanted to hear. Who wants to there. walk with Elias? Number I want to walk with Samson. <laughs> Fly me to the moon. Number six on our best of seven series here. Ronda Rousey appeared in Orlando at the May Young Classic with her MMA version of the four horsewomen, including Shayna Baszler, who is competing in the tournament. They're very good friends. They reportedly stared down WWE's version of the four horsewomen. That's Flair, Lynch, Bailey, and and uh, obviously Banks, Sasha Banks. Sasha Banks, in the crowd. Would you pop for this at a major event, maybe SummerSlam 4-on-4, or would the inexperience 
of the MMA version of that four horsewomen in the WWE ring be a deterrent for you? Let's start with Nick. Hero or Zero? Uh, doctor says I need a bacchiotomy first and foremost. Um, of course this is a hero, and of course you'd like this. WWE, if they tried, I don't think could book the women's division any worse than they've done over the past couple months here. So anytime you can get a, an injection like this of star power to the degree of Ronda Rousey, of course it's going to be awesome. So I don't care if they're inexperienced. I don't care if they can't work especially well. It's going to be a spectacle. It's going to be entertaining. And those are two things that have been severely lacking on the women's brand on both Raw and SmackDown here. And I'm even like, like Money in the Bank was a good match. I liked it. But when you look at how it's progressed afterwards, it has been nothing but a complete and total dud. Like, it has not been good. I have not been a fan of it. And can we please do away? This is a bit of a, a side tangent here. But is there a worse regular recurring segment in the history of professional wrestling than the Shane McMahon backstage segments with all five of the women <laughs> on the SmackDown with each of them alternating terrible one-liners that aren't funny and don't draw any heat, and then Tamina interjecting, going, "Hey, you, shut up!" Followed by awkward silence. Like, like, can they, can they, can the writers come up with something better than that? It's absolutely terrible. This would be better because it's new, because it's fresh, and because Rousey's a huge star. To hell with the inexperience. Give me Ronda Rousey on Raw or SmackDown. Uh, it would be a hero because of Ronda Rousey's star power. I'm not a big Ronda Rousey mark, but look, it still matters. It still means something. She presents a higher level of danger as a shoot performer, right? Despite those recent knockouts than any of these actual pro wrestlers. Here's the thing, though. You couldn't do it at SummerSlam. You'd have to do it at Mania, not just because it's a Mania angle, but because you would need time to put over members of Rousey's MMA Four Horsewoman stable. And at first you'd say, well, there are nobodies. You know, it's not going to work. How are they going to go against the star power of Flair Lynch, Bailey Banks? That's true. But here's the thing. Two of those four are part of WWE now to a certain degree. Shayna Baszler, one of the original MMA female pioneers, has been wrestling on the indie circuit for a while. She's in this Mae Young Classic. Marina Schaffer is engaged to Roderick Strong and has already appeared in some NXT promo videos. There's talk that she's going to become a wrestler. If you want to use this... Maybe as an opportunity to push, like let's say, Baszler deep into this May Young tournament, get over two fourths of that Rousey stable to set up for a match. It's obviously going to work and pop big from star power because of Rousey. But to make it work, you need to create a believable scenario in which Rousey, with no pro wrestling experience, three girls who have very little, could beat basically the four best women in your company. And the only way to do that is to turn Rousey heel. And the reason why it would work would be awesome. Hate her right yeah. now. She's got knocked out twice in a row, and she was so smug and smirk leading up to that, and believed in her own gimmick, as Joe Sonnen would say, and totally was, you know, such a strong baby face that she forced herself into a natural real life heel role once she got knocked out and needed a year to you know, go on Ellen and talk about depression and almost wanted to kill herself for losing it. You let her play up the heel. This could be a WrestleMania winner. If you don't, it's not going to be believable. I'm sorry that Rousey could win this match. I didn't hear or see a concession of that point by Nick, but I'm telling you, BC won that one. Going on, number seven, this is the one that touches what's, me. What, what's the score right now? Right now we are at 4-2-3. So okay, so you I got to get tie. this. Okay, in, and, in the wacky, and BC, the wacky Silver King scoring system here where we're going into game seven and we've already got seven scores on We board. do. Well, we had a double-point question, and you know what? I'll give you an opportunity for two points on this last wow, one. So you, so you can get the, You have the opportunity for a win. Adam's setting up a heck of a cliffhanger. So, cliffhanger. Because this one, because guys, this one really touches me right in the heart on some something I love about WWE, and they're screwing me over. WWE, and I should say Vince McMahon, suddenly canceled the weekly version of Talking Smack. SI reports McMahon 
was backstage. He hasn't been backstage at many SmackDowns and Raws recently, a little bit more infrequent, but he was there, saw it, and was like, eh, we're cutting this off. Uh, the talent, including Renee Young, who has now had three weekly shows canceled by WWE, despite them apparently loving her and the fans obviously loving her, found out on Twitter with no warning. She didn't know. Daniel Bryan didn't know. The SmackDown superstars didn't know. BC, hero or zero for canceling the weekly edition of Talking Smack? First of all, shout out to SI's Justin Barrasso, one of the best in the business. Twice he made our hero zero with, with reports he coined out there. Uh, it's a massive zero, obviously. And it, of course it's a Vince McMahon decision, right? And it really paints that picture of a stubborn guy set in his ways who is still controlling all the decisions at the top, but may not be involved, like like Adam mentioned, of not being there the last you know recent amount of weeks or months, as the report indicated, may not being involved with every tiny detail and then stumbling into this and then going, oh, wait, wait, what do we got here? No, this sucks. This is not what we're trying to do. And here's the thing. It obviously would play against what Vince McMahon is trying to do because Vince McMahon has completely scripted this generation to the point that people are so angry about it and want to go back to the Attitude Era when it felt real, when it felt raw. This is what Smack Talking Smack did at its best, more toward the beginning, was to create these angles almost out of nowhere with real raw and passion and enthusiasm and give these workers an opportunity to put themselves over and sell their true personalities in ways that they didn't get during the actual episodes. Now, was this scripted to a larger degree than people realize? I really think it was. Every performer wore an airpiece. You notice when they went onto the set, there were a lot of times that the less experienced talkers, if you notice, would stare down at the top of the desk in between questions. Sometimes while they were being asked a question, which leads you to believe they're reading a prompter that has some sort of, you know, topic to for them to read and, and know of. But even with that, it was loose. It was fun to cancel it out of nowhere and just make it part of the pay-per-views is obviously a massive fail. I just want to know if there's an even deeper conspiracy. And Vince purposely put Shane as the permanent co-host to replace Daniel Bryan when Bryan left for paternity leave to purposely submarine the show because this show <laughs> has not been nearly as good as it was in the beginning and has gone downhill big time since Shane's been on it. If I'm Vince, one protection on him in the recent weeks and months, it really has suffered. It hasn't been the same. But overall, this is a massive zero. Uh, yeah, It is a zero. And, and Bryan detailed all the reasons why it sucks from the fan perspective. I will play devil's advocate, though, from Vince McMahon's perspective here, because I do think it actually, believe it or not, makes sense if you look at it from his perspective to cancel the show. Because WWE is, like you said, it's very scripted, right? So Vince has an idea of what he's going to do with Performer X. Now, let's say Performer X goes on Talking Smack and goes into business for himself and gets himself over in a way that Vince did not want. Now Vince and the writers are forced to change their plans based on what has just happened. And if you're Vince McMahon, you don't want the inmates to run the asylum. This is business 101 here. So I get it from that perspective. Like, if I want to take, let's just say, for argument's sake, it's Dolph Ziggler. It's not, but let's just say it is. I create a scenario where I want Dolph Ziggler at WrestleMania to have a blow-off match with AJ Styles for the United States Championship. Let's just say that that's the case, right? And Dolph Ziggler goes on Talking Smack and gets himself over in such a way that fans want to see him in the main event picture and they reject him being in the U.S. championship match. Now you're forced to rewrite the plans for that match. And as a result, you now have to rewrite other stuff and scramble on the fly here. So from a control standpoint, I absolutely get it. I actually think it makes sense here. If WWE is going to be fully scripted, you can't have stuff like this because it's a major fly in the ointment. So I got to give it a hero from the business perspective, but a zero from the fan perspective because I think all of us really enjoyed it. Nick made a two-point worthy argument. Unfortunately, oh. it was on the wrong side. 
Five to three, BC wins this week. That is uh, that is absolute BS. Now, Brian, we are tied at two two here in our best of seven hero or zero challenge. Now we have another pay per view coming up. Go ahead, Brian. Come back though. I'll give you credit on that. That was that was a strong. It was good. Point. I got as I'm doing it. I'm like I won. Like I I, th I thought I was gonna win five four here, but of course <laughs> the, the Silver King here, the, the corrupt Russian judge here, gives it to uh to Brian Campbell. All right, let's quickly hit the battleground preview, SmackDown pay per view coming up on Sunday night. So here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna run through the card and I'm gonna stop when I feel like there's something worth talking about. Kickoff show: Ty Dillinger versus Aiden English. Next, Breezango <laughs> attackers revealed. Next, okay, Shinsuke Nakamura versus Baron Corbin. Brian Campbell. Quickly on this match. I don't know where they're going with this match because I think they've given you enough clues to believe that Styles Nakamura is next. And that was really the only redeemable part from a forgettable go home show. And by the way, the second straight week that SmackDown was horribly forgettable. Yeah. You can even go back a full month if you want to be really hardcore. And I don't know how we're going to get out of Nakamura Corbin when we have the money in the bank briefcase involved in this without. Uh, well, how are you going to make us pop? So I don't have any expectations coming in. I think that Nakamura has to win to set up AJ. But what are you going to do? Baron, bury Baron Corbin? I guess you will then if you're going to set him up to cash it in down the line. He doesn't need to keep getting over. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I think the result of the match is largely inconsequential. Corbin's going to get a main event run at some point. He's got the briefcase. The, the best part of SmackDown was the, the little vignette with Nakamura and Styles. Nakamura looking at the U.S. title points to it and says, "You're one day you're going to call and I'm going to answer. I thought that was pretty cool as a match. Don't really have high hopes for it because I don't think Baron Corbin's the best worker, and I'm not sure if Nakamura's going to be able to draw it out of Baron Corbin. So that is a match that I think some people looking forward to, maybe others uh, not so much. How about the tag team championship, Bri, the Usos defending against the New Day? I'm going to actually go out and say this. This is the match I'm most looking forward to on this card, and I never would have been guessed or been able to say that because of how much really SmackDown hasn't pushed the tag division. If you go back even through Mania, right, where they didn't have the titles defended despite a really good Usos Alpha uh, program leading up to that here. I think with how fresh this is and how reborn the Usos are, you that rap battle was hot. You're really at a high level. You're able to push some of those narratives like, are these two of the three greatest tag teams in historically in WWE history? I mean, it doesn't seem to make sense when you really map it out, but there's stats you could use to back it up. This is going to be no, hot fire in the ring. <laughs> I think in the end, this will be the match that has the highest score. You know, when we're grading it in the end, I think it's going to be great. Silver King, I think you're pretty pumped up for this one. Yeah, just like BC said, I'm looking forward most to this match out of the entire card. I think Styles Owens is probably going to be the best match on the card, but I'm really looking forward to this. I think we might see a title change because as good as the tag team division was a month ago, they're breaking up all these teams. There's really no face tag teams left. So I think we're going to see New Day win this and taken into SmackDown where we get another rematch. Otherwise, I don't know why they would fight again. Yeah, I remember reading something after Eli Manning's rookie year that had that used stats to say that his historical comparable as a quarterback was Billy Joe Tolliver. I think those are the same kind of stats that we can use <laughs> to put the Usos and New Day over as some of the best tag teams of all time. Not even close. Fatal five-way for the women's number one contendership. We don't have to get into the match. Let's just get predicted winners, Bri. Who do you think takes this? Who will challenge Naomi at SummerSlam? Look, it's got to be Charlotte. It's an epic fail if it's not Charlotte. I understand why you gave the money in the banks to Carmella, who's not in this match. You know, it, it'll elevate her potentially if they use it right. We talked about all the reasons why this match sucks right now on paper and why we shouldn't be excited for it. And there's too many multiple women's matches. I want to see them, though, try to use this match to create real spinoff feuds, have real things happen in this match that gives you reason to want to see Natalia against a, you know, Tamina against B, or maybe you just want to see Tamina and Lana, you know, really, really create some action. You know, ding, that, ding, I mean, ding. Come on. 
You know, that come on, that could be your thing. But all I'm saying is if it's not on Charlotte here and we're not going Charlotte Naomi at at the slam, it's a fail. And if they even even remotely try to do another SmackDown multiple women's match at SummerSlam, <laughs> is an epic, epic fail. And, and and I think that we should look forward to that being the case. I do think that it will be an epic fail. On to the flag match, guys, with Cena and Rusev. And if you'll allow me here, I'd like to pontificate for a moment on this match and on something that we saw on SmackDown. So Cena comes out on SmackDown, right? And he's cutting this super patriotic promo and referencing how America always gets up and blah, 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 this and that. And this guy has the gall to bring up 9-11, September 11th, the darkest day in the history of this nation, and I'm, I'm being dead serious here, has the goal to bring that up to try and get some meaningless, stupidly booked flag match at a stupid, meaningless pay-per-view over. To me, as an American, as a New Yorker, quite frankly, as someone who remembers who was in the Bronx on that day, my freshman year at Fordham, that insulted me on a level that, that I don't even think that I could properly uh, put into words. It really pissed me off. This angle's freaking stupid, right? Like, like you've got Jinder Mahal coming out as a WWE champion, running down America, but Randy Orton doesn't bring it up, and Randy Orton's not doing it for America. He's doing it for himself. And then you've got this hastily put-together feud with John Cena defending America, not against Russia, not against Iran, not against North Korea, but against Bulgaria. I don't even know one Bulgarian person. I'm sure that they're great people, but, like, why are we supposed to give a damn about Bulgaria as it regards the United States. Absolutely no build to this match. There's no reason to do a flag match. Rusev hasn't run down the United States. It's a recycled angle from a couple years ago at WrestleMania where Rusev should have gone over in that match, and of course, Cena had to go over here. This is a zero all the way around. I hope the match sucks. I hope it bombs, and, and I hope afterwards that everyone involved looks stupid at it. And John Cena to have the goal to go out there, and he does great stuff with Make-A-Wish, so this is not a bang on John Cena overall, but to bring up 9-11. Hey, dude, maybe don't bring up a terrorist attack that took the lives of thousands of innocent Americans to get your stupid flag match over on a pay-per-view against Rusev. That's my take on that. I got really annoyed watching that on Tuesday night. Oh, straight up. You nailed it. I, there's nothing more to add, but if you're going to do that and play the stupid thing that you just mentioned, at least have Rusev actually do something that the American fans would want to turn against him. Oh, sorry. He interrupted John Cena's promo on July 4th and tried to put over his own country. Who cares? Perfect breakdown. Let's move on. First all right. of all, bra bravo to Nick for that because everything he said was 100% right. My only point is this. If you want to have a flag match, do it on the July 4th show. Just get it out of the way. Move on. You don't do it on July 23rd, two weeks later. Yeah, Bul Bulgaria. I know, obviously, huge yeah. rival of the United States. Guys, the United States Championship match, AJ Styles against Kevin Owens. The match itself is going to be really good. We know that. I think that Styles will emerge victorious. I think we're going to get Styles and Nakamura hot-shotted into SummerSlam. So I think the match will be good, and I think the result, Brian, is going to be pretty predictable. Yeah, we can be quick on this. It's predictable who's going to win. And what Adam said earlier, this will be the one that ultimately will steal the show, I think. And just, you know, that one they had a backlash really had five-star potential. And even though I think the Uso tag team match maybe end up being the best match, this one's going to be right there with it. I hope that they give us a match worthy of the continuation of that first one, despite the fact that the build to this has been horrific. And that's why ultimately we really don't care about it. That's why a Styles Owens match possibly could be under the radar because they haven't cared about it. So in, in a lot of ways we shouldn't, but let's hope they just go in there, give us four and a quarter stars like we hope they can do. And let's be happy on the way out. And the main event, Punjabi prison 
rematch. Jinder Mahal defending the WWE World Heavyweight Championship against Randy Orton. And I think it's actually happened for me. I think I'm over Jinder Mahal because he cuts the same Thank promo every God. week. And not only does he cut the same promo every week, but he does it with the same inflection, tone, and intonation every single time. In the Punjabi prison match, me against Randy Orton. Like, why does he's the only person on the planet that has the hard T when he's pronouncing it's Randy Orton, not Randy Orton. Uh, so, Jinder, I think I'm over the Jinder Mahal stuff. This match is going to be brutal. I hope that it's an overbooked mess because hopefully that can save it here. Get 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 us popping a little bit. Get the Singh brothers to take some crazy RKOs here because this match, Bri, is not going to be very good. Yeah, the only way it wins is, is seriously if there's hard way, if there's if there's weapons, which there has been in the past in between the two cages. Big Show and Undertaker had some weapons laying around. That's the only way you're going to save this this ish show, if you will. And obviously, look, it's obvious because Orton doesn't need the belt. So it's obvious Mahal's going to have the belt. He's going to go into SummerSlam. That's when you you plug in Captain America and start talking about Pearl Harbor and, uh, you know, the uh, name any other famous military attacks in the middle of there. Not excited for it, but. Dingus McGee on Twitter came at us, Nick, at RT Homet, whatever that means, says, Hero Zero, if Kali returns Sunday to help Jinder, I don't think it's going to happen, but I popped for that tweet because I wasn't even on my radar at all. If Kali starts lumbering out there with the Punjabi red sweatpants on, I will pop for that. Uh, Dingus McGee, I will tell you that right now. I think I'd rather have another 9-11 reference made than see great Kali saunter out to the ring on Sunday night. I do not have high hopes for the Punjabi prison match. And with our preview of Battleground complete, Brian Campbell, we move on to everyone's favorite segment this week in NJPW. I mark out for that each and every time. It's absolutely awesome. All right, guys, the G127 Climax Tournament kicked off this past weekend with a trio of outstanding matches. Ishii against Goto, Tanahashi, and Zack Sabre, and the main event, Naito and Ibushi. Brian Campbell, flame emojis abound. Yeah, you know, I, I picked off the meat here, checking these things out, and really popped. I mean, that Ishii one was strong. That guy, as we've talked about in the past, and has become his reputation, he just he, he can't put forth a bad match. It's just not possible. But those other two were the ones that really stood out to me for two different reasons, which is what you like about how they're starting this tournament and the feels that they're starting to give you there. That Tanahashi Sabre bout was so well set up by the American announcers, Kevin Kelly and Don Callis. Callis, of course, the Jackal, Cyrus the Virus, and ECW. The way that they sold from the very beginning that Tanahashi, the legend, the John Cena of NJPW, has a long history of being vulnerable in matches in which he's the overwhelming favorite. So to set that tone and have Sabre come in and do his joint manipulation and long-term focus on, on, on submissions, when he finally got that submission on down the stretch, Callus popped as if... Sabre came in there with a knife and was slicing Tanahashi's throat inch by inch to put over. That's called putting over a move. That was just incredible how they allowed Sabre to get the upset there. He's doing the collar flip a la the Fonzie version of Finn Balor right now. He's really putting himself across well. Strong match and how they set up that uh, that upset. And then the Naito Ibushi was really the crown jewel of the kickoff of this tournament. You want to talk about high spots. You want to talk about three to four spots in the final few minutes that you assume somebody snapped their neck in half. Ibushi going to the second rope for a spike pile driver on Naito. And to have Ibushi back in that mix. He'd been freelancing lately. This got me fired up. This was a great way to start it. If you didn't watch any of the first few matches, 
Go back and watch Naito Ibushi. Focus on the last 10 minutes. It's about a 24-minute match. That thing got red hot with the near falls, with those incredibly physical moves that are really taking <laughs> taking mileage off on the long term on your odometer, taking days and years off. This set an incredible stage. The tourney will continue Thursday through Sunday of this week. I believe it's 5 and 5.30 a.m. starts on the NJPW website each morning Eastern Standard Time. I'm getting fired up for it. Nick, you texted me specifically when Naito comes in there in the suit and just slowly takes it off. Like, that's just like those little attention to detail with the production. I mean, Tanahashi's hair alone is getting me popped for how good looking that man is. I got to be honest and say that. I'm just fired up for where we are going with this good start. Good yeah, start. I, I just have a couple notes on it. Um, the Naito Abushi match was amazing. And as Brian referenced, go out of your way to find the final 10 minutes or so of that match. And one of the spots that you referenced, Bryce, one of those neck breaking spots, taking some days off the old odometer. That second row pile driver that Ibushi hit on Naito. Now, the camera angle was not purposefully not done so you could see where the head potentially landed, but it did not look like there was a lot of give there potentially. So I'm happy that Naito got up and was able to finish that match because that looked like a pretty stiff spot. But what a finish to the match. I won't spoil it in case you haven't seen it. Um, go out there and watch it, but a great finish to Naito and Ibushi. And to wrap up something Brian said before we get Silver King's take, the Kevin Kelly-Don Callis team, Absolutely sensational. I mean, and I think it runs in stark contrast to what we saw from the Jim Ross-led team at the uh, the Long Beach events, where these guys really know the talent. They know the intricacies of what these guys do, their characters, their move sets, and they really go out of their way to put it over in a really strong fashion. So full marks all around for the announced team, and I thought the quality of wrestling was sensational. You know, I enjoyed it. I, I didn't finish it. I only saw the 17th, the first one. So what I'm really curious about is what matches you guys are looking forward to. Oh, Silver King coming out with that. I like that. For me, the, the one that I'm looking forward to that's coming up next, Abushi against Saber, which I think will be pretty good now. Saber went over, and I, I guess I will spoil it. Abushi lost to Naito. I mean, who cares? It was like five days ago at this point. <laughs> so um, I think that Abushi will win that match, but it should be very good in a styles clash between the submission specialist Saber and the high flying Kota Abushi. And Kenny Omega's first match coming up against Suzuki, I think, will be pretty good as well. Anytime Kenny Omega gets in a ring, Brian Campbell, reason for celebration. Oh, no doubt. And obviously, you know, like we talked about last week, we're all looking forward to, to Okada Omega 3 in August. But I'm really looking forward to to the two guys that most recently gave Kenny, you know, two incredible five-star-ish matches, which is Okada and Ishii. Seeing them get paired together in this tournament is going to be fantastic. I, I'm popping. I'm just popping big because when you look up and down that roster and you quickly start to get acclimated to some of these guys, if you hadn't been following it for years— it's like, you know, I can't imagine just being dropped into WWE and not having a clue about who, these guys and just trying to figure out, wow, who am I popping for? Because we, we, a lot of these guys I didn't follow from the very beginning, right? It's, it's, like, it's like somebody turning on WWE right now and being like, well, who's this Reigns guy? He's kind of cool looking, right? <laughs> That's essentially what I'm doing right now. So to be that pure mark and to have that ability to look at two guys and say, wow, what does it look like when they match up? That's going to get you fired up. It's a very rare occurrence. It's bad. I've been late to the party here, having only dipped the toes in NJPW in the past. But I'm ready to get wet, Nick. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. Oh, man, I, you know me. I absolutely love to get wet. And, and you're absolutely right about that. And I think that's the cool thing here. Like, we're always honest with the audience, right? Like, we are not... NJPW savants. We're all getting into it here, really, for the first time, you know, intermittently here and there, but we're actually a, a deep dive into this year. We're getting absolutely 
soaking wet right now with the NJPW. I'm now getting to the point where I can start recognizing who almost every guy is. So, like, I know who Sonata is. Like, if Evil walked into the room, I could say, okay, that's Evil. That's Tanahashi. So, so that's my level of recognizance right now with it. And can't wait for the rest of this G1 tournament. And can't wait August 12th. Omega Okada, number three. And, Bri, with that, we now slide into the old DMs. Tell the listeners how they can get involved. At B. Campbell CBS on Twitter, my co-host at The Costos at Silverstein Adam. Guys, DM season is open. Slide right in. Heck, swan dive in if you have to. We want to continue to field your questions. They've been improving the quality, the continuity. Keep it up. For the people, by the people is the show. This is your time to share your voice. Bring it. Jared Hartzler, first up to share his voice at jhart8832. He says it's his first DM slide. He loves in this corner. Jared, guess what, buddy? We love you. He's asking if it's time, finally, for the WWE to abolish, cease, and flat out grow up from those what chants. What do you think, BC? I mean, we can only hope at, at this point, Nick. This has really been, you know, the sore thumb that is that has lingered for many years, and it stuck out to the point that, you know, in the last 15 years, during the times when I wasn't following it day to day, week to week, and would take three, four, five, six months off. Some points in there, I took almost a year off, right? Only watching the big pay per views, maybe not being in day to day. When you come back in and realize that the what chant is still a thing, it's just sort of like, oh man, it's. Always awful, except, except there's a time when it's almost in a sort of trolling type manner that it works. When you get somebody on the mic that shouldn't be there, that is struggling through it, that you don't want to hear. I don't mean to pick on our, our good pal Tamina there, but when she's picking up doing the, hey, you guys, and somebody drops in a what, those are the moments when you can get a sort of chuckle out of there. But looking back historically, I, what it was Steve Austin that started this thing, right? Yeah, like, so I'll, 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 I can lead you through this year because I remember how could it, it not have died along the way. Like, are you kidding me? Well, I mean, this is, and I say this to like interns, young people all the time that ask for you know ask for advice. I'm 34 years old, done some stuff in this profession. Most people are dumb. Not everybody, but like the the, the mass population here, maybe not the, the brightest bulbs, right? People like to put themselves over. They want to feel like they're part of the show, even though they're not. So they go out there and they chant what because they want to feel like they're part of it. it. It is very annoying. Now, the genesis of it, after Stone Cold turned heel following WrestleMania 17 during the whole invasion angle when he became the head of the WCW-ECW faction as the bad guy, he would come out to the ring and run down members of the invasion team. So there's an episode of Raw from summer 2001. I remember it vividly because I just graduated high school and I was watching pretty much every episode of Monday Night Raw with my buddies Kevin and Pat. Shout out to them in Long Island, New York. And we would pop huge for Austin because he would run down Taz and Hugh Morris and Raven and he would punctuate it. And this was new at the time. He'd say, you know, Hugh Morris, what? Hugh Morris, what? Is that supposed to be humorous? What? And it eventually got really over to the point where you had the What 316 shirts and Austin would come out and do promos even when he, when he turned back face and he'd go, and after I win the match, I'm going to drink a beer. What? The crowd goes, what? A whiskey. What? Vodka. What? And he would run through all the different types of liquors. Or I'm going to be in the Royal Rumble and I'm going to throw out The Rock. What? The Big Show. What? And it eventually got really over. And now it sort of has outlasted Stone Cold Steve Austin in a way that I think makes all of us sort of uncomfortable. Yeah, it's just tired. I'm tired of it. Uh, BC made the point where if someone like Tamina is going to be talking, then sure, there is a, there is an occasion where you can do it. Uh, if Daniel Bryan's in the ring and you want to chant yes, that works for me. I don't need yes chants when Kalisto, 
you know, does a great move off the top rope. Save it for Daniel Bryan. Save it for occasions like that no, where see, he's in I the ring. I kind of disagree with that. It's the same the, thing. Because yes, chant is at least like putting over the product as being good. Like it might be overplayed, but like this is awesome. At least is like you're saying like this is cool. Like the what thing negatively affects the product. Okay, but you're saying yes is cool now. Talk to me again in ten years when they're see, still I think doing it'll be yes. Okay, so I think the yes thing will will, will will be all right here. But Brian, I think we can all agree. Like it's time for the. It'll never happen because people are dumb and they're going to want to keep doing it. But it's it's absolutely past time for this to die a very quick and hopefully painful death because I hate it. It's literally the worst thing about wrestling. Moving <laughs> on. Like, that's it. That's that's the worst. Like, it's like the worst gimmick or phrase or thing that happens ever. If you go to a WWE event, pay-per-view, Raw, SmackDown, and you chant what? You are the worst person in the world. You know, you know, you know, there's only there's this is so what is so bad that it makes other things that are horrible. I want to see them come back like this. The sound of that. Say it with me. Mex America. <laughs> I mean, it's, it, it's true. It's yeah, true. Bitch. Well, you better be learning to say it because you're going to be hearing it a lot from now on out. Well, we didn't hear it a lot from now on then. Maybe that's a good thing. But I'd rather hear Zeb Coulter out in a rascal saying yes, saying uh, Mex America with uh, Del Rio and his record with him. I mean, come on. Yeah, I would rather have the crowd doing the, the old Swagger Cesaro theme music during promos than what? because what absolutely sucks. Please, please stop doing it. Next up in the DMs, he's been gone for a few weeks. Now he's back. It's our buddy D Midi 78 the Midi brand. He wants to know who our favorite tag team of all time is and which tag team we consider to be the greatest of all time. Brian Campbell, first up. Great to have the Midi brand back, by the way. He wanted to know our, our Mount Washmores, but to simplify this, uh, we're going this way, and I'm going to say, look, my favorite tag team of all time is the British Bulldogs. They were doing things in the 1980s with WWF on American TV that were not being done. And, of course, Dynamite had the great matches he was doing at the time in Japan. He was working a different style, brought that in. These guys were juiced to the gills yeah. on steroids. Dynamite was taking horse roids back then. I mean, it was ridiculous. It led, of course, to Dynamite's career falling apart. Steroids have been no good for wrestling, but in that short window when they were studs on top in WWF in the 80s, the contrast of speed and power between Dynamite and Davy Boy, the work rate at that time was incredible. I mean, there was, look at that finish in that WrestleMania 2 title-changing match where Dynamite hung himself on the ropes and allowed his, allowed his opponent to get thrown in into him with a headbutt, and he, fit, he hit head first on the floor. He hard weight. I mean, they would put themselves in some tough spots. They were incredible. Who's the greatest tag team of all time, though? Personally, I lean that still to Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard. I know it comes from that prime 80s era where continuity, think Rock and Roll Express, was the key. Tarn and, and, and I'm Tarn, look at me. Tarn and uh, Arn and Tully had that polish, uh, of course, the teamwork, but as heels, as the boost they got from being in the Four Horsemen, they were like professional hitmen, wearing those suits with the monogram on the sleeves of their initials. What they were able to put forth as true heels and the fact that separated, they were never as good as they were together, which to me really personifies at times you know, how you really rank a tag team and why being together boosted them. They were best in class at any point that I've ever seen. And I think that to a large degree, we can agree that tag team wrestling has gone down over the years, at least the the pushing of it. The So, so we pop these days for anybody that feels like the old days. These guys were standard bears in the old days. These are the best. I don't say this often to the man whose name is on the marquee. 
but that was a pretty garbage take because the greatest tag team of all time is clearly Hawk and Animal, the Legion oh, of Doom, fine. a.k.a. the Road Warriors. It's not a slight at the Brain Busters to Tully Blanchard and Arn Anderson. They're great, but Hawk and Animal revolutionized tag team wrestling. They were the hottest act in the history of tag team wrestling, and I think the greatest tag team of all time. Now, for my favorite tag team... I'm going to go with the Dudley boys because they really epitomized everything that I felt in my life as an angry teenager watching ECW. I loved when they came over to WWE, programs with guys like like The Rock and, and, and of course, all those epic TLC matches with the Hardys and Edge and Christian. I love Bubba Ray, love Devon. The 3D, uh, for my money, is the greatest tag team finisher of all time. I don't think it'll ever be topped. So uh, Dudleys and Road Warriors for yours truly. Yeah, it's, just, just for the record, Road Warriors didn't revolutionize tag team wrestling. They just had an incredibly over gimmick and were so cool and beat people down little bit overrated historically, and that'll get you shot in certain parts of the country for saying that out of your mouth. I'm just saying little bit overrated. Standard and forebearers, yes. Not the greatest in-ring workers or tag teams I've ever seen. I agree with Nick in that they are the answer. I don't agree in that it's so overwhelming. So I'm kind of a little bit in between you guys. For me, it was between the Road Warriors and the Hardy Boys. I think the Hardy Boys, they've really gone three separate eras and, and you want to talk about revolutionizing tag team wrestling? The stuff they do, a lot of tag teams don't do bigger guys. They don't do flips. They don't do dives. They don't do those things that the Hardy Boys do, but they can also mat wrestle. So I, I thought it was close between them. My favorite tag team, I think it was the New Age Outlaws because these guys were so over on the mic and so over as part of, as part of DX. They, they feuded with the, some of the best tag teams in WWE. They were so good that WWE had to find, like, two main eventers, singles competitors, put them together to beat them for the titles and to challenge them in terms of popularity or for it to be believable that they could actually lose a match and lose the titles. So for me, I loved the New Age Outlaws. Really, everything they did, and they lasted a long time. They had a nice comeback in WWE, too. Am I the only one that could do the entire road dog spiel, or could you guys do it also? No, I could do it. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, Degeneration X proudly brings to you, it's WWF. Tag Team Champions of the World! BC? The Road Dog Jesse James! The Badass Billy Gunn! The New Age Outlaws! Well done, well done. Are you going to hit us way, with the Billy Gunn part or no? Uh, I, yeah, I flopped. And if moment. you're not down with that, got I got right. two words for you! Oh, Brian, I'm, I'm upset that you, not you, good. You, you, you couldn't hit us with the Monty Soft, the <laughs> Billy Gunn there at the end, bud? My, my timing was off. I was completely off in the moment. I was uh, I was thinking about how that, that speech from Billy Gunn... It, to me, on the microphone is the most iconic thing from the 90s. Like, that was my favorite thing as a fan in the 90s. But my second favorite thing, by the way, underrated, Conan's rant on NW and WCW that he would do when he's part of the Wolfpack. The, 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 come on, the Odele, Odele, Ariba, that, I, I popped for that. Ariba La Raza. Ariba La Raza. And it was the terrible, remember the terrible Conan music video as well that came associated with that on Nitro. Oh, yeah. That Conan gimmick, that worked at that time. There was a window where that was hot. Hot, I tell you. I, I would say that the window was never open for Conan. I was never a huge fan. Ew. Let's move on to our buddy Trevor at Trey Doherty, and he's somewhat new to wrestling. Welcome to the party, buddy. He said he's been watching for six months to a year, and with all the content on the WWE Network, it's hard for him to choose which pay-per-view to watch. It's like when I go to Cheesecake Factory. The menu's 15 pages long. I get overwhelmed, so I feel you, Trevor, here. He says he always hears about what matches are the best, but he wants to know what our take is on the best pay-per-view of all time. Silver King, I will allow you the first word here. Okay, so I actually took some time to think about this because we're not going to go with a WrestleMania. WrestleManias are obviously the best. So for me... Not all of them. I'm actually going to go with a WrestleMania as oh, my answer. All right, that's fair. So for me, on a non-WrestleMania pay-per-view, 
I'm going to go with King of the Ring 1996. Now, I've already told you guys I like the King of the Ring concept, and I hate that they still don't do it. But I'm going to do a very, very super quick rundown of people on this card that you guys may not even like, that I like, that made it for me. Ahmed Johnson won the Intercontinental title. I liked him. Paul Bearer turned on The Undertaker uh, to join Mankind. Mankind won. The Ultimate Warriors on the card. Shawn Michaels fought the British Bulldog in the main event for the WWE title. Mark Marrow, eh, Sable's on the card. Uh, Stone Cold, you know, faced Mark Marrow in an early King of the Ring match. And then obviously you have not the main event of the show, but the biggest moment of the show. One of the most historic moments in WWE history. Stone Cold Steve Austin's rant after winning the King of the Ring, beating Jake the Snake Roberts, and dropping Austin 316 says, I just whooped your ass. It's not a wrestling match, but it's a moment in wrestling history. And when you compare it or combine it with all the names I just listed on that card, some that are personal pops and some that are historic guys, guys like Warrior, Bulldog, etc. For me, that is a pay-per-view you absolutely have to watch as a new wrestling fan. All right, I'm going to give you three here. Um, and I'm going to give one WrestleMania here. I know we wanted to not do WrestleManias, but I, we can't eliminate what I consider to be the greatest pay-per-view of all time, which is WrestleMania 17. So, Trevor, you need to watch WrestleMania 17 in entirety. It's got Angle against Chris Benoit. It's got Vince and Shane in a very entertaining street fight, and the storyline leading up to that was amazing, and it has a hilarious ending involving Linda McMahon, which you'll absolutely have to wait to see. Triple H against The Undertaker, the TLC match uh, with the Dudleys, um, Edging Christian and the Hardys, and the the main event of Austin versus The Rock. WrestleMania 17 is the greatest pay-per-view of all time. Definitely watch it. Now I'll give you two others, non-WrestleMania, both WWE for me. Number one, and I've talked about this before, so I'm not going to get into it, but the best storyline-driven pay-per-view of all time, Trevor, is Survivor Series 1998. Deadly Game. Features a tournament for the then-vacant WWF Championship. It is not the best pay-per-view in terms of wrestling, so don't turn it on and expect to see five-star match after five-star match. In fact, most of the matches are pretty bad. But some of the angles that they that they conclude and some of the surprise finishes, you will pop huge for it, I promise. And one other one, the 1992 Royal Rumble. The best Royal Rumble of all time. Um, vacant WWF Championship. The star power in that match is absolutely through the roof. And it also features what I consider to be the greatest ever wrestling commentary during a match Bobby the Brain Heenan marking out for 60 minutes for the Nature Boy Ric Flair. Yes. WrestleMania 17, Survivor Series 98, Royal Rumble 92. Go nuts, buddy. Yeah, this is a great question because it's, it's sort of like that dream of, of one of your best friends coming to you be like, you know, I know I've avoided this wrestling thing for a long time, but my kid got me into it. You know, what should I be watching? That's like the dream scenario, right? You just suddenly can pawn all your stuff. Up. It's like, wow, you know, this is the drug I like. We could have been we could have been hanging out a long time ago, right? We could have been doing this together. So shout out for this question right there. Try to keep it away from Mania because it's a separate thing. But I think WrestleMania 3 and 24 are the most rewatchable. That's just my personal take from mine. My favorite pay-per-view, though, you know I love WCW. You want to talk about about just really great in-ring wrestling. There's almost a sleeper pay-per-view that doesn't get talked about enough. The NWA Great American Bash from 1989, July 23rd in Baltimore, Maryland. It's got some of those clunky up and down crazy things like this weird tuxedo match between Jim Cornette and Paulie Dangerously, Paul Heyman, where Heyman ends up down in his BVDs and has to run away. There's some of that. There's a two-ring battle royal where the winners on each side then face off in a singles match only. No, hey, guess what? It's Dan Spivey and Sid Vicious, and they're on the same team. They're a tag team, and Teddy Long won't let them wrestle each other in a great heel moment. They split the money. But this, this card ends 
with four back-to-back, at least four star-quality Meltzer-rated type matches in a row. You want to talk about great in-ring wrestling of guys at their peak? Sting against the great Muta. Muta, one of the most underrated guys in history. That short run he had in WCW was incredible for the NWA TV title. Luger defends his U.S. title against Rick Steamboat in Lex Luger's best in-ring match by far for my take. Four and a quarter stars from Meltzer. Incredible. One of the early War Games matches is next. Road Warriors and company on one side, the the retooled Fabulous Freebirds on the other. That's one of their early ones, four-star match, and it closes with the second in that trio there of the Ric Flair-Terry Funk feud from 89, which I've talked about in the past, which finishes off in the I Quit match. This is the match before. Four-and-a-half-star, incredible. Ends with Sting and Muda coming back in, a big brawl with chairs. This is a top-notch start-to-finish pay-per-view, and if you even want a sample of what it used to be like in the WCW, the alternative to WWE, where it was more serious. It was more of a focus on in-ring work. This is the example. Great American Bash 89. Check it out on the network. And speaking of that, guys, my favorite parts of the show this week is where we do pop in the DM segments, where the fans bring some of the historical sides out of us, where we get to debate and throw it around. So I want to kick off a new segment starting next week. It's going to be called pay-per-view rewind now here are the parameters right here as we deep dive into the vaults within the grounds of what's on the wwe network to keep it easier right wcw wwe there's uh there's ecw right there's some old awa whatever you can find on there we're gonna rotate each of us each week putting out a match for the listeners out there to watch we even rotate on the fourth week have a listener submitted match love it it can be an all-time greatest match guys it can be an all-time horrific blundering match it can be a hidden sleeper right you just run into a match you hadn't seen in a while we're all going to watch it we're going to come back the next week in its own segment break the match down rate it sort of look at what was going on in that moment in time and the historical significance of that moment so i could you know i'm going to go wcw to kick you off it's (laughs) my name on the marquee in this campbell podcast (laughs) Brian Campbell right there but I'm not going to give you a a five-star match you must see I'm going to give you a match that I forgot ever happened but we had one of those red wine nights recently in my house no one's home but me and I went deep dive on the network we talk about the impact that the NWO launch and Hogan turning heel had on the business right in 1996 well it had a specifically large impact on WCW because pre NWO Hogan heel turn launch on WCW in 96 was some of the worst stuff we've ever seen there is a match I'm not going to tell you if it's great or bad or in between but I want you to watch it the pay-per-view it's March 24th 1996 the pay-per-view WCW uncensored the match is the main event the reunited Mega powers, Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage versus the Alliance to End Hulkamania, which includes Arn Anderson, Kevin Sullivan, Lex Luger, Ming, Ric Flair, the Barbarian, the Ultimate Solution, and Zeus, known as Z Gangsta, with Miss Elizabeth, Jimmy Hart, and Woman on the sidelines in a three tiered cage. Tower of Doom, I think they officially called this match the Doomsday Cage match with another ring next to it. Just watch this. We'll reconvene next week. The pay-per-view, WCW Uncensored, 1996, the main event. That's all I have to say. Okay, um, I've seen that match before, and as you were running through the participants, I was waiting for you to get to Zeus, a.k.a. Z-Gangsta. So I was happy that that you did differentiate between Zeus and Z-Gangsta. I'm not going to say whether or not it's a good or bad match, but I think you can tell based on the way that it was laid out and like knowing some of the participants involved whether or not it's good, but we will save our breakdown of that match. I mean, Bri, I mean, really, buddy? Like, out of any match in history, that's the one that you picked that we've got to watch? We've got to put ourselves through that match? I mean, God almighty. 
it stands out so hardcore for all the reasons we're going to break down that you can't, you, can't, you can't act like it never happened. I'm sorry, you can't do it. Um, I'm actually pretty excited for it. So we will have that for you next week. And you should do, do the same thing. Listener, watch, watch it at some point this week. So when we break it down, you can have your own thoughts as well. Tweet us using hashtag in this corner. Slide into the DMs. Let us know what you think. Again, the main event of Uncensored 96, Hogan and Macho Man Randy Savage against about... 75 people, and I think you can probably <laughs> guess knowing that it's Hogan and Savage who ultimately goes over in the end. Now, that match, Bri, when I watched it at, uh, at age 12, 12 and a half or so, it did not hit me in the feel spot. But thankfully, some things this week did hit me in the old feel spot. Same for you guys as well. Brian Campbell, lead us off, given that your name is indeed on the marquee. Sometimes it's one moment. Sometimes it can be a couple of different things, little jokes, whatever. Three moments from last week's NXT episode. We record these on Wednesday. We do not get to see the updated episode. Bobby Fish, the longtime uh, Ring of Honor, New Japan wrestler, sort of under the radar, signed by WWE, made his NXT debut against Aleister Black. You want to make sure you check out that match. MMA moves in there, real quality ending with an incredible Aleister Black, Black Mass finishing move. That is becoming, and I think now is, my favorite finishing move in all of wrestling. Catches people flush, it looks real, they fall face first. The heavyweight tag team main event is almost laughably amazing. It is the the authors yeah. of pain against heavy machinery, stakes and weights, our guys. This is as awesome of a of a train wreck that you could imagine between four fat guys just bouncing off each other. Very well done. And at the end, sanity comes out and just 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 starts to make things happen. I think we got a brewing future there. We don't talk enough NXT on the show sometimes when the weeks get busy. But I'll just quote also, they started a new team. Or I'm sorry, I'll finish with this. The Street Profits. They had their first vignette. It's Montez Ford, formerly known as Kenneth Crawford. You probably never heard of him. And, D and Angelo Dawkins, who has been in a lot of different tag teams that have failed. But this gimmick that they're doing with these vignettes, it's almost the equivalent of real-life boxer Adrian Broner, who's always on TMZ, always putting out these horrific videos. I think there's potential in this Street Profits gimmick if they go in a good direction. Check out last week's NXT if you didn't. I popped three separate times watching this episode. That's activating my feel spot this week. Man, the, the NXT feel spots, that's usually my domain. But no, I loved both of those. I have two also. One I'll make really quick, but it was actually the shining star of the entire week. So on Raw, you have Bailey versus Alexa Bliss. And I want to break down what Bailey and, and Alexa Bliss both did that made me pop. Bailey walks down to the ring. This was good. I know what you're gonna say. Gets into yeah. the ring, and is she's ready. You know she's doing her normal her normal shtick, and she sees a little boy on the side of the ring, like waving his hands in her shirt. His dad's with him, maybe crying a little bit. Whatever. She gets out of the ring, takes her shirt off, gives it to the boy who busts into tears. Like this is the best moment of this boy's life. Can you bust so into far. tears or you burst into tears? Burst into tears, bust into tears. He did both. I think that's something entirely different. There was yeah, go on. there was water streaming from this kid's face, whichever way it went. So that was great. That was already a feel spot. Then Alexa Bliss comes down to the ring, and the camera stays on her, and she gets she starts walking to the ring, and she sees this little boy in the Bailey sh with Bailey shirt in the Bailey shirt crying, and what does she do? She looks straight at the kid and makes fun of him. It was amazing. It's a pure heel move. It, <laughs> she made fun of a little eight-year-old boy, and I'll tell you, man, she's she's awesome. She, she she's like an she's like an improvisational whiz. Like she, she's very good with that. Stuff. She was made to do this for someone who uh, Brian, when you interviewed her, said you know she didn't initially think of doing wrestling. Why would she ever do it? She was doing X, Y, and Z in her career. She was made for this. She was made to be champion. She was made to be a heel. I can't even believe that they had the. Little Miss Bliss and all the other characters she had, like a pixie uh, in NXT, whatever. I went on long about that. I said it was going to be quick. I lied. 
second one, really quick for you guys. Rollins Ambrose. The, the angle thing was a big deal on Raw. You had the main event, which is going to be a 1,200-pound fatal four-way at SummerSlam, we're guessing. But for me, the best told story on Raw, and the thing that I'm actually most excited about, to my own surprise, is Rollins Ambrose as a tag team. They actually showed some continuity here of a storyline with Ambrose still being mad at Rollins what is it, a year later, two years later, three. three years later, he's still upset, he's not accepting the apology, and they even weaved in, which I don't know if a lot of people caught, Bray Wyatt told Rollins that he needed to atone for his sins, and guess what, he lost to Bray Wyatt twice, and then atoned for his sins with Dean Ambrose. It's the best told story that WWE had on Raw, I really am excited for it. I did find it a little weird that two jabrons and a, and a chicken crap heel beat down two former WWE champions. Um, but overall, I really like what they're doing with it, and I like them as a tag team because, as I said earlier, there's not a lot of face tag teams right good, now. Good thing Silver King's not Pinocchio. His nose would be stretching all the way to the wall with all the lies that he just told. So he'd go quick on both of them, went long on both. I lied. But, but good stuff on both of those, Silver King. And, and I said it last week, and I will pat myself on the old back here, that Rollins was going to have to atone for those sins. If he's going to be a true face at some point, he's going to have to own up to all that dastardly yep. stuff that he did while he was a heel with the authority. And the fact that they're paying that off in the storyline now, I agree. I think it's pretty cool. But, Bri, you know what hit me in the field spot this week, bud? Do you know who it was? It probably involves a female, maybe a, uh, a bust, <laughs> something, something in that category. Yeah, no, um, that's – I mean, I could I could tell the story, but I, I won't because I would like to keep my job as what happened to me last night um, on Tuesday night. For me, <laughs> it's the greatness of Tetsuya Naito and, uh. and NJPW. Um. This guy's gimmick, if you'll allow me sort of to run it down to set the stage, right? Because I think a lot of the listeners like us are sort of dipping their toes into NJPW for the first time. So Naito used to be a face, right? And he never really connected with the audience. And I was not watching when this happened, but I've done a lot of reading on the subject because it fascinates me. So Naito was a face, but he was never over with the crowd. He won the G1 in 2013, but didn't main event Wrestle Kingdom because he wasn't over with the fans. They put it to a fan vote, and the fans voted for Nakamura in an Intercontinental Championship match as the main event. So Naito jobbed out of the main event spot, which he earned, which was sort of like the equivalent, I guess, the Japanese equivalent of Damian Sandow winning money in the bank and then losing the cash-in match to, uh, to John Cena. So Naito at that point takes it as like a personal slight, right? He goes to Mexico to hone his craft, the CMLL, where he joins the stable Los Ingobernables, which means the ungovernables, a bunch of heels that do whatever the hell they want. He evolved his character there and took Los Ingobernables to Japan. So they are now Los Ingobernables de Japón. That's his stable in Japan, which features Bushi, Sonata, and Evil. And they are really, really, really cool. They actually might be cooler than the Bullet Club. I'm probably going to get one of their shirts. And Naito's gimmick now is indifference. And that's a big deal in Japan because the Japanese are all about the fighting spirit, right? And respect for your opponent and respect for the belt that you're fighting for. And Naito doesn't give a damn about any of it. And his, his catchphrase is tranquilo, the Mexican word for tranquil, which is calm down. So he will do something really dastardly, disrespect someone, and then just say tranquilo. Like, hey, buddy, chill out. Like, he's an awesome, awesome heel. And Brian, like you referenced, he comes out to the ring in a full suit and then makes everyone wait as he takes in painstaking detail each article of clothing off as the heat gets louder and louder. And he actually gets a face pop for all of this. That's how good my man Tetsuya Naito is, Brian Campbell. He hits me in the old field spot. Very, very, very well said. 
Thank you very much, sir. And I think we said a lot of good things this week on the In This Corner podcast, the Pro Wrestling Edition. But, Bri, tell the listeners what else they have to look forward to this week from you, more performance-enhancing audio in the world of combat sports. Hitting you hard on this combat sports carnival. MMA-wise, look, we have a specific UFC reaction to that Mayweather-McGregor press tour last week, including what role is Dana White going to play in this moving forward, and will this Maymac fight be the first of many? We also have a very revealing talk with UFC flyaway Ian McCall going through his own personal hell right now with his career at a crossroads. Talks about that beef he had with Ronda Rousey. Talks about a lot more. You do not want to miss that long-form sit-down with him. Boxing-wise, of course, my man Rafe Bartholomew joins me. We hit Maypac. May Mac, excuse me, from all the points you would expect and talk about the action that was this past weekend in the ring. Robert Guerrero retiring after getting a knocked out. Lot to go through here, hitting you from all corners of the combat world. And don't forget also, following Battleground this Sunday night, instant analysis as the three of us will break it down for you. You will have it on Monday morning to get you through, obviously, the worst part of the work week. And that does it for the Pro Wrestling Edition of In This Corner with Brian Campbell. For the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, I am Handsome Nick Costos. Brian, hit us with two words to end this week's edition. We out.